even a slightly cynical listener might, upon hearing this morning's gospel that Peggy just read, resign him or herself to something like, oh great, another sermon on evangelism. And he or she would be right. I mean, how can you avoid preaching on evangelism when we have Luke's account of the sending of the 70 disciples into the world? And especially when even the psalm implores us to be joyful in God, all you lands, sing the glory of his name, sing the glory of his praise. That sounds like evangelism. So I mean, a sermon on evangelism is basically unavoidable. And I know, as good Episcopalians, a topic like this can be a little uncomfortable. We're not the kind to stand on the street corner and cry out, the end is coming, or repent. But we are the first in line for a march for a good cause. And we'll donate heavily to the missions we believe in. But we're generally less upfront about our church and the invitation stuff. And that's probably a good thing. Jesus, in today's gospel reading, makes it clear that it's important first to establish a relationship and then do good things. Do all that before proclaiming the word. So our emphasis on action, on being the good news, on being the gospel, before talking about it, may be the best way. Besides, I'm not sure how many corner preachers with their bullhorns and their calls of fire and brimstone actually changed anyone's mind. But a quiet conversation among friends, that can be pretty convincing. You may have noticed we're working our way through Luke's gospel this, in this season after Pentecost. All the readings are in service of Luke's theme that the kingdom of God is coming into reality with the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. And that we here, some 2,000 years later, are participating still in that inbreaking of God's kingdom. And you have to admit, that's pretty good news. Maybe even worth telling a few folks about it, this kingdom thing. In a larger sense, today's gospel challenge us, challenges us to ask, what is the mission of the church today? Are we a social club where people of similar backgrounds and beliefs and outlooks get together? Are we a force for social justice in the world and the calling out and correcting of injustice? Or are we a place of healing where the damage is inflicted by the outside world can be comforted and nursed back to health. Now you could argue that it's all those things and so much more, and you'd probably be right. But I wonder if all those emphasize too much the doing of something. You see, in our accomplishment-driven culture, we come to church with the idea that we have to do something in order to make it work, the same way we apply that doing something to the rest of our lives. And I think what we need to realize is it's not the doing that is the, church the church's mission, but in the being. We are to be a part of the kingdom of God and let God do the work. Throughout the Gospels, God, in the person of Jesus, is always doing the work. And it's when the disciples, and us by, re by reflection, think that we're, doing, that we're doing it, that we get into trouble. Peter falls into the water. James and John argue about who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand. The mission of the church is to be the inbreaking kingdom of God. We sit here in right relationship to God, to each other, and to the world. And we let that be. It doesn't mean there's not work to do. There's plenty of work to do. 
but it begins with being. Being the kingdom of God. God's doing the work, not us. Now this view of the church's mission as being the inbreaking kingdom of God has implications for how and what we evangelize, what we do and talk about outside in the world. Today's gospel reading is packed with many of these insights into how we might evangelize. First, know that the world needs our evangelism, needs our mission. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we've got our work cut out for us. A simple reflection on the state of the world makes this obvious. Then we begin with prayer. We ask the Lord to send out laborers. Everything begins with prayer, even our work in the world, especially our work in the world. While we work together, we each go our own way. Each of us brings unique gifts and experiences and talents to our evangelism. It may be, for example, a caring attitude or a clever mind or the physical strength to do good. We each go in our own way. We know it's going to be dangerous. We are going out among the wolves. When we speak the truth of the gospel, the real truth of the gospel, we're going to have critics. Right now, for example, the humanitarian crisis at the border with its inhumane treatment of any child of God, let alone actual children, is unquestionably counter to the gospel message. The gospels, in fact, the entire Bible, implore us to focus on the outsider, the outcast, the asylum seeker, the illegal alien. But any mention of this immediately raises the hackles of a large group of people in our country. The gospel message is countercultural, and culture, any culture, doesn't like to be opposed. So we're going to be among wolves. And how do we respond to the wolves who oppose us? Do we have harsh words that we throw back at them? No, we're told to respond like lambs. We're gentle. We listen. We're ready to give the coats off our backs. We stay focused on our purpose. Jesus tells the disciples to greet no one on their journey. And this speaks to the urgency of the purpose, but also its singularity. Don't be distracted. Stay focused on the mission. And this raises the question, what is there in our purpose on this journey of evangelism, this bigger purpose? And I think it's revealed in Jesus' instructions for the first thing the disciples do when they enter into a welcoming house. They say, peace to this house. They offer peace. They offer shalom. Salam. It's the first and most important thing they can do. And when you think about it, Peace is probably the single thing we can wish upon someone else. We all struggle with personal doubts, with interpersonal issues, with doubts about others. But peace, this deep, comforting, warming peace, is possibly a cure for everything. And it may be the greatest gift we can offer. In a few minutes, we'll share the peace with each other. And as you know, the passing of the peace at St. Peter's is a pretty boisterous affair. And I know some of you love it and others not so much. But I encourage you this time to think of this passing, this deep, comforting peace with each other as you embrace. And just see how it feels, experience it. Next, the host 
not the guest, sets the context. Jesus instructs the 70 to eat what is set before you. They don't choose what they eat. Now, in a culture of strict dietary restrictions, this is a big deal. Now, here in the South, we're well aware of the importance of breaking bread together. Just imagine the discomfort that it'd be caused if you refused grandma's green beans or fried chicken. So we know the importance of honoring the host here. It's about them. It's not about us. See, what it's getting to is the relationship is what matters above all. The disciples haven't yet got to the point where they say a word about God's kingdom. That comes later, after the relationship is set. Imagine a world where we didn't impose our beliefs on our hosts and re-educate or even assassinate those who resisted. I think we'd have today a much richer, more diverse Christianity that we'd be practicing. So we focus on the relationship. And after we form the relationship and we do the acts, we cure the sick, then and only then do we preach the word. Our work begins by doing, not speaking. They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our working side by side, not by the empty words that might be spoken by a street corner preacher. And it's in this way, this emphasis on the doing, that I think we Episcopalians have got it right. We are quick to act. And Jesus tells the disciples to persevere. They won't always succeed. When they fail, they simply shake the dust from their feet and move on. There's always somewhere else to go. The harvest is plentiful. But note that even to those towns who reject them, they tell them, yet know that the kingdom of God has come near. See, God's not only in the business of saving a few, but actually in the business of saving all of creation. Even those who reject us might, a few years later, have a change of heart. And that lingering message, that memory of the kingdom of God has come near, might be what they need to remember in order to turn back, to repent. And again, this just gets to the central takeaway I think we need to take from this gospel message. This is God's work. It's not ours. God's redemptive work, God's inbreaking kingdom is his work. We are simply called to be part of that work. It starts with God. Jesus calls the 70 in today's gospel, and it ends with God. We are simply called into community to do good works toward each other and then to share this good news. So yeah, evangelism isn't something we Episcopalians are entirely comfortable with. It's been tainted by centuries of overzealous preachers and missionaries who made it more about themselves than about God. But when we realize that we're not actually doing the work that God is, and we're called to love our neighbor, all our neighbors, to share the peace, to help them heal, and then, and, and only then, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, then it makes this evangelism thing a little less scary. In fact, I think we're doing a lot of it already. Now, our own Jerusalem Greer, who now works for the National Church in the Office of Evangelism, has made the focus of her work people who suffer from loneliness. Loneliness, she claims, is the epidemic of our culture in the early 21st century and the source of most, if not all, of our problems. And it's true that young and old alike report feeling deeply lonely, no matter how many Facebook followers or Instagram likes they have. 
And when you think about it, this focus on loneliness makes a lot of sense. And I think it gives us here a place to start with our unique Episcopalian flavor of evangelism. Look for those who tell us where we think might be feeling lonely. In our church, in the Kroger, at the gym, on the street. Start by just noticing them. And then maybe sharing a smile. And if it feels comfortable, maybe start a conversation. But not about the church. Make it about them. Create fellowship. Create a relationship. And then after a while, if it seems appropriate, maybe talk about church. Talk about St. Peter's. Invite them to a service. Sit with them so they know when to stand and when to kneel. Break bread with them in the lobby. It's not too scary because we do it every week. And then we let God continue to do God's work. Maybe they'll join us. Maybe they won't. They may not like our weird practices and strange beliefs. Maybe they will. Share the peace with them, that warm, comforting peace. And whether they stay or move on, all we need to do is let them know that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, it worked for the 70 disciples, and they rejoice that their names are written in heaven. And I think it will work for us, too. So this week, I ask, just notice who's lonely. Amen.